Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Every year on the first Sunday after Pascha, the blessed Apostle St. Thomas is placed before us so that we can reflect on the experience that he has with his risen Lord. And I highlight one word that I used in that sentence very intentionally. I said the experience that St. Thomas had with his recently risen Lord Jesus Christ. Because to Christianity, real Christianity, and the experience of Christ our God is not only paramount, it is everything. Absolutely everything. It is the beginning and the end of our faith, the start and completion of our healing and our restoration and our salvation is absolutely always dependent on experienced union and fellowship with a very living and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And to help us see this today, let's follow the testimony that we're given from our gospel reading in St. John chapter 20, but I'm also going to throw in there the same testimony of St. Luke from St. Luke 24 so that we see the bigger picture. Mary Magdalene had already seen and touched the risen Jesus Christ. And the myrrh-bearing women had also experienced the empty tomb by the time this gospel reading comes along. And so the myrrh-bearing women and Mary, they go to Peter and the disciples proclaiming that Jesus Christ has been risen just as he said. But before we get too hard on Thomas for doubting Peter and the disciples when they came to him testifying of this, Let's remember how Peter and the disciples reacted when the myrrh-bearing women and Mary Magdalene came proclaiming this to them. The scripture in St. Luke chapter 24 tells us that to the disciples their words seemed like idle tales and they did not believe them. The disciples, there's no question, certainly hoped what they were proclaiming was true. But they doubted the truth of the revelation, the truth of the report. And ask yourself this question. There was a huge difference between Mary Magdalene and the Myrrh-bearing women and Peter and the disciples. What was that difference? The difference was this. Mary had seen and touched the risen Jesus Christ. The disciples had not had that experience yet. They received the blessed information, but they had not experienced the Christ after his resurrection. So now we move ahead in our gospel reading today in St. John chapter 20. And we find that the disciples are in a very, very dark and fearful place. Their Lord had just been slain. They're in chaos. They're in fears of what the Jews and the Romans might do to all of his followers. It's almost as if they're in that little boat again where the storm is raging all around them. What's their little boat? They'd lock themselves in a room while all of this turmoil and chaos is going on around them, having just witnessed the horrific suffering of their Lord. We're told that Jesus, miraculously without the need of a door, miraculously appears right in their midst. And he speaks words, but not only words, he speaks what he grants them by the experience of himself when he says these words, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. 
And what is this peace that he not only speaks, but delivers to them, ministers to them in the midst of their fears and their sufferings and their chaos? St. Alexandria says it best about what that peace is. St. Alexandria taught, St. <clears throat> Cyril of Alexandria taught, when Christ greeted his holy disciples with the words, peace be with you, by peace, of course, he meant himself. For Christ's presence always brings tranquility of soul. The first words out of Jesus' mouth to his disciples when they encounter him risen from the dead, the first time they're the words that he commanded over the same storm I mentioned a few moments ago, the winds and the waves that were causing these same disciples great anxiousness and fear of their death. He says to the disciples in that room, peace be with you. In other words, peace be still to your souls. And just as the storm had to obey the command of Christ and became still, the disciples received the restoration of their tranquility of soul that only comes by the presence and the experience of Christ their God with them in that room. And there's that word again, experience, experience. They experienced the risen Christ. And what was the result? Peace restored, the granting of great joy. And what do you think it did to their faith? It blossomed in that room in the presence of Christ. But Thomas was not among them when this happened. And so now we move to the next scene in our gospel reading from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 20. These disciples having experienced Christ, what do they do? They do what the Marybarian women and, and Mary Magdalene did. They went to find Thomas who wasn't with them and they started proclaiming with great joy that they'd experienced Christ and that he is risen. And how does Thomas respond? Just like the disciples did to the Marybarian women and to Mary Magdalene. He says to them, I will believe what you say. When I see the nail prints in his hands and I put my hand in the side where he was speared and I touch his side. And my friends, I tell you this, the whole, all the church fathers, they tell us that the Apostle Thomas request is an honorable request. What is he requesting from the depths of his soul? He is longing to have the experience of Jesus Christ that all of the other disciples had. He wanted that. He wanted, don't you believe, to be raised up and to ascend out of all his doubts and fears and anxiousness over what he'd just seen. It's a blessed request. You know what he's really asking and requesting is that beautiful request that we mention a lot of times around here by someone else who encountered Jesus. Thomas is saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's his prayer. That's what he's requesting. And our Lord, I tell you, saw this as an admirable desire in the heart of Thomas. And he gave him exactly what he longed for. Because now Thomas being with the disciples in that room, our Lord appears again. And we're told this. He'd already, he already knew the heart of Thomas. He, he had heard his words, his request. His prayer. Because we're told that when he appears this time, he goes straight over to Thomas. And he doesn't let Thomas say a word. He said, Thomas, see my hands. Put your hand. Touch my side. Touch my side. Don't be faithless. 
But be believing. Be believing. He gives Thomas the same experience he gave Mary Magdalene, the murdering women, Peter, and the disciples that raised him up out of his internal chaos and doubt and gifted him with great faith and brought great peace and joy, restoring Thomas, settling Thomas' soul. And what would be the results of this experience in the life of the Apostle Thomas because of this experience granted to him by his Lord Jesus Christ? I can't put it any better than St. John Chrysostom. I've read this numerous times in this very sermon, but I can't do any better than this. St. John Chrysostom says, Thomas for a brief time was weaker in faith than the other apostles. He toiled through the grace of God more bravely, more zealously, and more tirelessly than them all. So that when he, that he went preaching over nearly all of the earth, not fearing to proclaim the word of God to savage nations. And we know from the testimony of our church that this holy apostle founded churches and baptized thousands upon thousands from Palestine to Mesopotamia to Parthia to Ethiopia all the way to India. And while he was there converting masses in India, there he would by faith and love for the Lord Jesus Christ that granted him the experience of himself. He would offer his own life in love to his Savior as he would be martyred in India. What do we take? Looking at this, what do we take into our souls from all of this? What do we take away? Follow me. When Mary Magdalene came to Peter and the disciples with the testimony that she had seen Christ and that he is risen, you know what she's sharing with them? An absolute revelation that came from the experience of Christ that brought a truth to the table. You know what we call this in the Orthodox faith? Theology. In our faith, theology comes by the revelation of Christ to his people that grants us greater knowledge of himself and the truths of themselves and our salvation and his kingdom. That's theology. It's something that is received relationally from Jesus Christ by people that fellowship with him in prayer. That's theology. Is this not what Mary Magdalene received when she experienced so very personally Christ and the revelation that he is risen? But the sharing of the information and the hearing of theology alone is not what gave mankind faith in any of our stories. The information alone did not cause the disciples to ascend out of the depths of their doubts and fears and anxiousness and chaos. We'd say the same thing about Peter and the disciples sharing their, the sharing their theology with Thomas. The word, the revelation did not change the soul. I didn't say it wasn't useful. I said it didn't change the soul. The sharing of theology, let's look at what it did do for Peter and for Thomas particularly. <coughs> Peter, he heard the revelation from Mary, but didn't quite yet believe. And yet hearing that information filled him with such hope and longing that he ran straight to the tomb where they had visited. And he looked in there and he found the tomb empty. 
And while his faith wasn't yet secure, what was it that the sharing of the revelation of theology did? It moved his heart to pursue an experience with Christ. Same thing with Thomas. Thomas heard the words of Peter and the disciples proclaiming the resurrected Jesus, but he did not yet believe. But he yearned for the experience and he asked for it in saying, I must see him and touch him. But in both cases, it was only the experience of the risen Jesus Christ that brought peace to their souls and elevated them out of their chaos and their anxiousness. And my friends, I tell you, it is the same for us. Both cradle orthodox and converts to our faith share the same danger and the same challenge with this truth that we're talking about today. Yes, the apostolic faith has, contains, and has kept the very revelation of the experience of Jesus Christ that Christ has given it for 2,000 years without question. This is true. But the danger to us all is approaching this treasury of all these revelations that we call theology from an intellectual learning and proposition alone to simply hear and know and learn the accurate information that's shared with us by these revelations. And I tell you this, approaching theology like that, it will make us one thing and one thing only, Pharisees. It will make us Pharisees who know. And perhaps we even do all the things that these revelations have shown us to do, and yet our hearts still remain far from Him because they're devoid of the experience of Christ. Remember, the Scriptures never say, think and know that the Lord is good. What does it say? Taste and see that the Lord Himself is good. Our newly elected, elected Metropolitan Sauler wrote of this truth beautifully in one of the teachings that I emailed out to you yesterday. I want to share it with you. It speaks just to this. He taught, there's a big difference between knowing God through the work of our mind and knowing Him through what He reveals to us in His divine energies, that is the experience of Christ for us. Knowing Him only intellectually puts us in danger of creating an image of Him that is very far from the reality because we would have to have deduced it through our human efforts only. God is not known except through living with Him and in Him. He is a living person with whom we can share an experience of meeting, communion, and life. He goes on to teach Western theology took an intellectual tendency to approach God and thus philosophy became the main foundation of studying theology. Intellectual effort became the focus in the quest of divine knowledge. In our faith, however, approaching God remained dependent on experience and unity with Him. Every revelation that Christ has given through His church, these revealed truths and realities that we call theology, they are given to us to create within us a greater longing, like with Peter and Thomas, that will move us towards pursuing an experience 
with the living Lord Jesus Christ that changes and heals the soul. Why do you think the liturgy doesn't stop at the liturgy of the word? The liturgy of the word is the revelations. We hear the scriptures. We hear the teachings of the fathers. How we should live in Christ. All these things have been revealed. These are our theologies. But why does it continue? Because our hearts are to start burning with a longing that move us further in the ascension to come and actually touch and see and taste that the Lord is good in Holy Eucharist. And my friends, only when we have such experiences with Christ in our lives are we like Peter, the disciples, Thomas, the myrrh-bearing women. Only then are we granted true peace and joy and our souls elevated Ascending out of all of this chaos, fears, and anxiousness. For Christ is risen. Indeed. Christ is risen. Indeed. Christ is risen. Indeed. In the name of the Father and of the Son.